let me invite all of the children, ages 3 to 11, to come to the very front row up over here today. And we have a little activity that we're going to go through over here. Yeah, so come on up. Yeah, you don't need to be so shy out there. And we'll sit down here in the front row. Now, you, you can't see this because you're sitting down. But uh, we have over here some cones. And then we have some obstacles in the way from cone number one to the last cone. All right. So now you're going to say, what is Pastor doing? All right. Well, our children's church worker is up in Tahoe today. And uh, so we're going to do a special activity for the children. And this relates to the message that the big people are going to have. All right. But you get it first. Okay. Now, there's also activity papers at the end of the row, and so you can take the activity papers when you go back to your seat in just a minute. All right, so my big people, take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 3. All right, so Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through all right, will you listen along? And I want you to tell me who we're going to learn about today. All right, Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days came John the Baptist. So who are we learning about? John the Baptist. Okay. Preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he, that means John the Baptist, that it was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord! Make his paths straight! And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. That means he ate bugs. Yeah. All right. And then he had honey from what the, the bees made. Uh, let's see here. And then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. All right. So if you are just joining us for our series of Christmas messages, we take a New Testament scripture about the Christmas story. And then we show you where you find it in the Old Testament. And I know the people that are trying to watch online, you're just going to be able to hear for now. I'll, I'll step back into the camera in just a minute. But um, this actually comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. So Isaiah 40, verse 3, is where you find this quote in the Old Testament. It says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness... Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths in the desert, a highway for our God. All right, so kids, who are we learning about today? John the Baptist. And he had a special message. And what did he cry out? Prepare the way of the Lord. Can you say that with me? Prepare the way of the Lord. All right. And make straight his path. All right. And make straight his path. Now, if I were walking down the sidewalk and I saw a safety cone, what might that tell me? Be careful. Because there might be some kind of hazard in the way, such as a pine cone that I could fall on. Or maybe the football team forgot to put away a stinky jersey. We find clothes around here all the time. Literally, the, the students don't run around naked. They just leave their coats and everything around here. All right. Or maybe it's dark out and I trip over a football, but I should see the cone, right, because it's bright. Or watch out for the brick. Yeah, watch out for the brick, because you could really get hurt on that, couldn't you? All right. So John 
the Baptist had a special job to do. His job was to make the path clear so that people would not get lost or they would not get hurt on the way to the, of the road. And so the people were supposed to make the path clear so they could get to the Lord. Okay? Just as we wanted to go from cone A to cone C without tripping on anything, what do we have to do? We have to clear the way. That's exactly right. So let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five of you, and there's five objects. Can you each put one object on the chair on the front row? And let's get rid of the objects here. Let's clear the way. Let's prepare the way. All right, you got it? And Allie, you can take a cone out of the middle. How's that? All right. So now, does the way look clear? You go ahead and sit down, Adrian. Is the, does the way look clear now? All right, we prepared it. All right, so that was our special job for today is to prepare the way. All right, so it's all clear. Now I got from cone A to cone C with no problems. All right, now, don't take the obstacles back with you. Leave them on the front row, all right? <laughs> so go ahead and set them down, and you can head back to your parents. But on the way by, take an activity paper with you, and you can do the activity paper as you listen to the message today, all right? Okay, so... Does that help put it in perspective what we're going to learn about today? All right. Prepare the way of the Lord. So you have some of the different scriptures are up, that are up here. Now, on the screen, you also had one from Luke uh, chapter 6, where the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, uh, he cries out, And thou, child, shall be called prophet of the highest. Thou shalt go before him to... Uh, prepare his way. So the special job of John the Baptist was to go before Jesus and prepare the way for Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you once again to follow along in Matthew chapter 3 and Isaiah 40. Uh, that's where we'll really be looking at most of our text today. So probably should have you turn to Isaiah chapter 40, and then Luke 1, 6, prepare his ways. So we have a very special and simple um, object lesson today, uh, prepare the way. All right, would you say that with me? Prepare the way. Now, the ancient kings of Samaria, which is the modern-day country of Iraq, they're the first recorded civilization that we can find roads for. They made sun-baked bricks and glued them down with asphalt. All right? So the first asphalt roads were not in the United States. They were in Samaria, modern-day country of Iraq. And uh, those roads are at least 4,000 years old now Archaeologists are finding new cities in South America and in the jungles of Southeast Asia. And amazingly, they're finding very broad, wide, and long boulevards leading into the city, paved roads. Now, I've found this interesting. I went on to the National Highway Transportation uh, website this last week to, to look this up. And um, here's a little piece of history from them. So these stones paved back to about 4,000 B.C. in Mesopotamia in the cities of Ur and Babylon. And uh, it says that after drying them, they would take them and then they would cover them with pitch and lay the road. Now, in Glastonbury, England, the ancient Isle of Avalon in Somerset, England. All right, does anybody know anything about the island of Avalon and Glastonbury on the Somerset, England? Anybody have any clue what that might be referenced to? King Arthur and his capital city of Camelot. Now, we think that's folklore, but what is very interesting is that for centuries, there have been pilgrimages to this little island to the abbey, which is a little church, on this island, 
uh, the Glastonbury Abbey. And uh, what they found as they did excavations is they found ancient roads leading through a swamp that were raised up so that the pilgrims going to this little abbey would have no obstacles. So a way was prepared for them. All right, so we've been talking about sidewalks or roads. And uh, so the ancient custom here uh, in Isaiah was that the oriental kings would build highways so that when they went from point A to point B, it was easy on them. And they usually sent a crew out in front of them. And the crew would either make the road or announce that the king was going to come. So an important person was going to show up and you needed to give your uh, reverence, respect to this person. So John, his special job was not to necessarily build a highway for Jesus. His special job was to preach so that our hearts were ready and prepared for Jesus when he came. And so the connection between John the Baptist and the Christmas story, do you remember when Gabriel visits Mary and says, you're going to be with child of the Holy Spirit, and you call his name Jesus, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was already six months along. So we know that John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus. We read, first of all, about John the Baptist preaching. So all of the Gospels have a, a different uh, introduction. Uh, Luke is the Christmas narratives. Matthew gives us a genealogy and a little bit of Christmas narrative. Uh, John starts out very uh, intellectual with the Logos, the Word of God. But all four Gospels come together at this one point about this person named John the Baptist. He's very pivotal. Jesus said about John the Baptist, there's not been a greater prophet in all of Israel than John the Baptist. Now you think about some of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And we think about Elijah being able to call down fire from heaven. All right? And uh, you think about uh, Elisha, and you think about Moses, and all the things that he was able to do, the ten plagues. And uh, so even if you go to a synagogue today, in, in a Christian church, you'll find either a hymnal or a Bible in each row. Well, if you go to a Jewish synagogue, you'll find the first five books of the Bible, which is the Torah. And they're the works or the writings of Moses. And so they still hold Moses in very high esteem today. But Jesus said, John is greater than Moses. But yet, we don't find John the Baptist doing any miracles. There's not one recorded miracle in the New Testament about John the Baptist. What made John so great was that he was the advance man. We could call him the PR man that would prepare the way. Now, not just to announce, but to actually see God change the hearts of people so they would be ready for their Messiah when he comes. And so this is the ministry of John the Baptist, is to prepare human hearts for the coming of the Messiah. Now, <clears throat> you're thinking, okay, I'm not sure I really get this yet, why he's so special. Well, if you stop and think about the time period when the Old Testament ends, and the New Testament begins, there's 400 years of silence between. Nothing's going on. So when John shows up, this is special news. This is something new and radically different than what has happened for the last four centuries. We need to listen to this prophet. And so after 400 years of silence, John the Baptist comes on the scene and begins preaching a message of repentance. 
And so prepare the way of the Lord. And so in Isaiah, Israel could prepare God's way by removing obstacles from their heart. So today, just like the Israelites of the Old Testament and the Jews in the days of John, we too can prepare the way of the Lord by removing obstacles from our heart that would get between us and God, that would get between us and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll go back to Matthew chapter 3, keep, keep a ribbon there in Isaiah 40 because we're going to come back to that. But in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, how does Matthew summarize the preaching of John the Baptist? In, what's the summary of what he's preaching? Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. I'm asking you for your feedback here. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. So, kingdom. There's three things you need for a kingdom. You need a realm, which is an area that you would rule over. You need subjects in a kingdom. And you also need a king. So when John says the kingdom is at hand, he's saying the kingdom is about to come, the realm, and the king, but you're the subjects. So prepare your hearts. Be ready for his coming. So then the word repent. In the Greek, it's actually an ongoing command, be repenting. All right. So, you know, this is something very interesting. Somehow, as human beings, we think that if we go to church and do our religious obligation, we're good for seven more days, all right, till next Sunday. And in between Sundays, we can go ahead and live any way we want. Or if we, quote, make a commitment to Jesus, then we're covered, we won't go to hell, and then we can live whatever way we want. But that's not at all what John the Baptist is telling the people. Be repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You want to be kingdom citizens? You're going to have to continue living like a kingdom citizen. Be repenting. Now, the idea of repentance is to change one's mind, which then in turn changes one's actions. And so John will, will see what he's preaching, a message of repentance. What do they change their mind about? And what are their corresponding actions that they should be doing? Okay. So um, we'll look at that as we go through the message today. But this is the summary of what he was preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you see in Matthew 3, 3, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet uh, Isaiah, or Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Many years ago, uh, there was a group of churches um, in the tri-state area of New Jersey, um, Phil, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, New York that supported the, the ministry that I was in up in Concord for 20 years. And they financially supported us for, I think it was about $500, maybe $700 a month. And um, they wanted me to come out once a year to their annual fellowship. And when I came out, then they were so gracious, they let me speak in the different churches. And on top of that, they, they gave love offerings. And uh, one night we were driving out uh, of the suburbs of Philadelphia, and we just kept going, and the countryside turned into these... Uh, rolling farms and then farm after farm after farm after farm after farm and we're way out in the middle of nowhere 
And all of a sudden, in the middle of all these farm fields, here's this magnificent church building, huge parking lot. On the Sunday night, they had about 300 people there. And I'm thinking to myself, now what is going on at this church that people will drive from every direction to be here on a Sunday night? They'll come out into the country to see what's going on in this church. And what I learned from that is that if the pastor and the people of a church will burn for God and have a passion for God, people will come for miles to see what's going on. And so here's John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness. The, the word here means the dry, the bone dry land. And that area to the east of the city of Jerusalem, uh, where the Judean foothills catch all the rain. And um, then you go east of that and you go down towards the Jordan River Valley and the country of Jordan. It's bone dry. And this is where John is preaching. And so the scripture says here, uh, as we read Matthew 1 through 6, that says, uh, Then went out to him Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region about the Jordan. Some have estimated that 200 to 500,000 people in that area came out to hear John the Baptist preach. And he's an eccentric looking kind of fellow, is he not? His clothes is rough-hewn, cut camel's hair, and uh, he's eating locusts as his food and honey. And he's preaching a fiery message, telling people, repent! Get right with God. And people are flocking to him. Now, in our nation today, when we tell people that they need to believe on the Lord Jesus and repent and put their trust in him, they're not exactly sure why. They don't know that they're sinners in need of a Savior anymore. Today, sins are phobias or disorders. Um, they're not sins anymore. And so, just in our country, probably Western Europe, maybe even all of humanity, uh, we have failed to read the Bible to learn about a holy God and how not to offend him. And so John was telling the people, repent. Now let's go back to the book of Isaiah, and this is where we'll spend most of our time today looking at this particular chapter. Isaiah chapter 40. So Isaiah receives a message. Now, this is not John the Baptist. This is Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah is quoted in that John would have a ministry like him. But Isaiah is told to preach a message of comfort in verse 1. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. People need encouragement. People need hope. People need to know that there are solutions for the perplexities in life. Historically, what has happened is the children of Israel rebelled against God. They got into idol worship. They began living their own way, doing their own thing. And as a consequence, God punished them and sent them away to captivity in the land of Babylon for 70 years. But Isaiah is prophesying that they're going to return to their homeland after that 70 years of captivity. And God says to Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to preach a comforting, encouraging message to the people. Isn't that what Christmas should be? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels brought tidings of good news, of great joy, which shall be to all people. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news, should be comforting to us as human beings, that there is a Savior that can solve our sin problem, that can deal with the perplexities of our life. So Isaiah preaches this message. Uh, notice verse 2, Speak ye tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, 
that is, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Um, maybe some parenting advice here. When you correct your children, make sure that that's not all you do. Make sure that when you're done correcting them, that they know that the fellowship is restored. And this is what God is doing with his people. Yeah, I had to correct you. I had to chasten you. You responded. Now that that punishment is done, I want you to know my comfort for you. I'm speaking tenderly to you. What is behind is behind. Your, pun your punishment has been accomplished. Now, lest we think God was unfair here in Isaiah 40, verse 2, uh, they received of the Lord's hand double for all their sins. That phrase just means this, that God repaid them according to their sin. That's called retributive judgment. This is a scary thought, but those that never reconcile with God when they meet him on judgment day, they receive retributive justice for their sins. And that should scare those who don't know the Lord as their Savior. Now, for those of us who know our Savior, that should be a comfort because God is going to correct injustices and make them right. So retributive justice, he pays back in kind for the sin. Um, do you remember the old uh, TV show from years ago that had uh, Telly Savalas as Kojak? All right, if you can't do the time, don't. Or if you can't do the the time, don't do the crime. I think was kind of the introductory to that, meaning that there is a specific length of sentence equal to the crime that you committed. And so this is how God judges. Now, verse three, um, we see here that John the Baptist is mentioned and by way of prophetic utterance, casting this, verse 3, into the future. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, John came preaching a message of repentance, and then he encouraged those that responded to his message to visibly demonstrate their response by being baptized. Now, John's baptism was not Christian baptism. Christian baptism is completely different than John's baptism. Read Acts chapter 18. Uh, they needed the gospel preached to them that only had heard of John's baptism. For John said, one that's coming after me is mightier than I. And so he was telling people that the Messiah was coming, they needed to believe on him. But nonetheless, John's message was a message of repentance that you could see then outwardly that people had repented inwardly by their baptism. And so they would then confess their sins. Whatever their sins were, they confessed them. Now, aren't you glad in Christian baptism we don't stand up here and confess all of our sins? You might scare everybody off, all right? And... Um, no, all of our sins are, are dealt with by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, John preached a message of repentance and a, a baptism then. He said, one that is coming after me, he will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. So the person who follows John the Baptist, who would be Jesus, he said, he will baptize you by the Holy Spirit. Well, what is baptism by the Holy Spirit? All right. Now, we have uh, good brothers and sisters in the Lord. My own grandmother was a Pentecostal, but they don't understand what baptism of the Holy Spirit is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 tells us that the baptism of the Spirit happens to every Christian the moment that they ask Jesus to be their Savior. You're baptized or placed into God's family. You're identified by God as his child being part of his family. And so that's what baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and that's why John's baptism was not Christian baptism. Because when people got baptized by John, it was only water baptism. And they're confessing their sins. So 
it was a message that said, look, you need to live a clean life now. You need to live differently. But he said, Jesus Christ will baptize with the spirit and of fire. John went on to say that the axe was laid to the root of the tree and judgment was going to come for those that did not listen to the Messiah. So there is a day coming in which God has appointed this man, Jesus Christ, to be the judge of the whole world. Are you ready to meet him? Well, I pray that you don't meet him at that baptism of fire, of judgment, because whosoever is not found written in the Lamb's book of life is cast into the lake of fire, which burneth with brimstone forever and ever. You see, Jesus came so that we didn't have to suffer that judgment. He came to give us life in exchange for ours so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. Now, uh, let's go down to uh, verses 4 and 5 and look at the voice of providence here. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So just as an ancient king would have a construction crew come through, the low places were filled in, the high places were torn down, and a nice plain road was made. Do you know that in the Old Testament, there were six cities that were strategically placed throughout the nation of Israel that if there was an accidental death, say you're working in a field with your neighbor and your ox lifts its head and gores uh, your neighbor and kills him, that the neighbor's family could take your life in exchange for their relative's life. And at that very moment that that accidental manslaughter took place, a citizen could run to one of those six cities and claim sanctuary. But those six cities throughout the nation of Israel had highways where every valley was lifted up and every hill was brought down and a nice straight road without obstacle was made to a city of refuge so that a person could go and find refuge in that city. You see, that's what heaven is for us. It's our city of refuge. And Jesus Christ made a way for us to get there through his death on the cross. And if we will follow Christ, then we can go to that city of refuge. And so those places uh, are filled in or raised up based on whether they're high or low. And look at what the result is here in verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The reason why there's an Israel that exists today is because God restored them to the land back in Isaiah's day. The reason why there was an Israel for John the Baptist to preach to was because God, through his power, restored them to their land. The reason why we have the gospel today was because God in his glory brought his people back out of captivity. He made a way for them. Try rebuilding your country after it's been decimated. That's hard. Remember years ago when Hurricane uh, Katrina hit um, New Orleans? It took thousands of men in hundreds of dif different sectors of the economy to go back and rebuild that city. First of all, they had to uh, patch up the, the, the damaged dams and dikes around the city, and then they had to have these huge bilge pumps pump it out for days and days and days. And then the water lines were contaminated with the, the storm water, sewer water, and all the oils and the, the pesticides. They, they had to rebuild the infrastructure of that city, the water and the sewer. And it was a massive undertaking to rebuild New Orleans. Well, imagine that on a nationwide scale where it's not just one city, but hundreds of cities. Well, God was able to do it. 
And so it turns out for his glory in the providence of God to be able to get that done. But now that is a physical restoration of the lamb, but a spiritual work took place. And spiritually speaking, Israel was in a wilderness when Jesus came. You see, they had a religiosity about them. Today I call that churchianity. All right. Um, there's a lot of entertainment. There's a lot of externals. There's a lot of formalism. There's a lot of uh, hocus pocus. Uh, there's a lot of smoke and pomp and circumstance, but very little substance. What you're getting here today is the substance of God's word. And John came and he hit that head on in his day. He said to the Pharisees, you crooked generation, you, you brood of vipers, Jesus would call them later. They were that external focused group of spiritual leaders that were in charge of the nation. It was all external. You see, the, the commandment of honor thy father and thy mother meant that there were no nursing homes in that day, so they had to take care of their elderly parents. And to get around having to do that, they would set up trust accounts at the temple called Corbin, meaning this money is reserved and dedicated to God. So therefore, I'm exempt from taking care of my parents. All right. And so they were known as being very generous givers in the temple and in their culture, but yet the wickedness in their heart was that they wouldn't even use their resources to take care of their parents. And John hit that right on. Bam. John even preached to the Gentile soldiers, the Roman soldiers. They came to him saying, John, what should we do? And he's like, be content with your wages and don't forcefully intimidate people without a, a valid reason. Don't abuse your authority. And they would repent and they would change. So there are very specific things that John preached. But you know, there are specific things that we can repent of today too in our heart. One is apathy in the church. Uh-oh. Whoa, wow. All right. Yeah, apathy, our consistency in our worship of the Lord. Maybe one Sunday a month, maybe two services a month, and we feel good about that. Well, you know, the custom of Jesus was that he was found in the synagogue every time that the Sabbath rolled around. That was just his custom. Another thing is our apathy and our prayerlessness, our apathy in a lack of witness to people around us. But then we go from the great omission to the great commissions, the sins that we're involved in, because we're not busy for God, well, then we're going to feed that time to our flesh. And we fill our lives with things that we need to repent of. We have gross, vile entertainment that we laugh at and fill our eyes and our ears with. We have attitudes of complaining and griping and backbiting, and we squabble and we fight in our homes. These are the kind of things that Jesus wants all of our hearts. And so there might be some very specific application today that I haven't even touched. And you're already under conviction because the Holy Spirit is telling you, get that right. Repent of that. Change your mind that that's not okay. Repent and then change your actions. And so this is the voice of providence. God brought them back. But you know, the reason why I was talking about the, the apathy of church attendance, you know what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 25? It is the foolishness of preaching that leads to salvation. You know what churches are trying to do today? They try to have an hour-long service 
where 45 to 50 minutes is music and 10 minutes might be preaching. But here's what God says. Preaching is the way that people get saved. Preaching is the way that people are confronted and know how to live for God. Preaching is what, as you listen to it, it corrects your life. It changes you as you yield and submit to the word of God as it's spoken to you. And this is the voice of providence. Now let's look at Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, and we'll see the voice of promise. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. And as talking to my father on the phone this week, he's 90 and a half, and we're hoping we can nurse him along to 91. And uh, so the 29th of this month is my birthday, and I will become officially a senior citizen, all right? Hit that 55 mark, and I was joking with my dad. I said, Dad, I said, you have reached a parenting milestone that very few parents actually ever accomplish. You have raised four senior citizens. <laughs> I don't know that he was too pleased with that. <laughs> okay. But um, as we look at this, life is so short. And I see my father struggling right now. And uh, I can remember as a little child riding my bicycle around the junior high uh, track as he would run, you know. I don't know why he loved to run because he did so much of that in the military, you know, a uh, very strong soldier. But then I can remember in my uh, late 20s, uh, you know, being married, coming home for visits and noticing a few more hairs disappearing off of his head and getting into my 40s and a few more wrinkles and everything is turning gray. And uh, then in my late 40s and early 50s, I began saying, wow, he's really slowing down, right? We all are. Is that a newsflash? Okay. And so that's just being a human being, is that we're just fading away. Uh, like flowers that are cut and they're out of water. They're just beginning to wilt and droop. And so God's promise to dying and withering people, verse 7, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the breath of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people are as grass. What is life? It is even but a vapor that appeareth for a little while and it's gone. Hey, it was so cold this morning, you could see your breath, right? But when the sun comes out, you're going to go out and you're not going to see your breath anymore. But life is just as short as that that vapor. So what's God's encouraging words to us? Okay. Well, let's keep reading. Um, o Zion that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. I have a message for you today of the Christmas season. Behold your Savior. Behold Jesus. He's the encouragement for withering, fading human beings. Maybe they were thinking of God's promise found in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and I'm just going to read these. If you want to turn there, feel free. 2 Chronicles 6, verses 36 through 39 starts out with a very important word, if. All right? Now, if you know language, what word would follow if? If, then. All right? So if we do something, then God will do something. So this is God's voice of promise. If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not. You think pastor's perfect? Well, I'll tell you he's not. He's a sinner, just like all of you are sinners. And I need this message just like all of you. There's not a, a just person on all the earth that doeth good. There is not one that sinneth not. And thou be angry with them and deliver them over before their enemies. And they carry them away captives unto a land afar off or near. So did that happen to Israel? Sure did. 
Yet if they think to themselves in the land where they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity. So turning, there's that change of mind, that repentance. We have sinned, we have done amiss, and we have dealt wickedly. If we'll come to that point in our life. If we confess our sins, agree with God about our life. If we do these things. If they return to thee with all their hearts. Hey, listen, the last thing you need is a superficial churchianity. That's the last thing you need. You need a vibrant heart relationship with Jesus. And if they turn to thee with all thine heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, wherever you have carried them captives, and pray toward the land which thou gavest unto their fathers, and toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house which I have built for thy name. If what then? If all of these conditions are set up, then, it says here in verse 39, hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer, their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. So, if then, and that's what John was, was preaching, okay, was that message of repentance. If you will repent, then God will forgive. And you'll show that repentance through your baptism, confessing your sins. So John's baptism was something new. You know, in, in the day in which John lived with the Jews, foreigners were baptized, but not Jews. A Gentile convert to Judaism was baptized, but never a Jew not to show their conversion. So essentially what John was saying is the whole nation is excommunicated before God and needs to enter into a personal relationship. And that was so shocking to the nation that John was demanding a, a baptism of repentance. That, look, you can't count on your heritage you can't count on your religion. That's what John was saying to them. You have to individually repent and come to the Lord. So they don't depend upon their heritage, their nation, their family, or their religion. They have to enter into that relationship with God. And so it was symbolic of pure religion, signifying their confession of sin, their new commitment to a holy life. And so then in closing, verses 9 through 11, we read verse 9, now verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those with the young. This is the voice of peace. God was saying, look, I want to nourish your soul. I want to sustain your life. And since you've repented and come back to me, I will do those things. I've got good news for you. If your life is chaos today and sin rules and, and sin is destroying your life, if you acknowledge it's your sin and you cannot save yourself, then God has good news for you. Come to Jesus and he will give you peace. Instead of the turmoil of your heart, he'll give you peace in your heart. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Trust in the Lord, and he will give you peace. So the good news today is the defeat of sin and of Satan by Jesus Christ, and the salvation that Jesus offers to all who will trust him. Now, God has here in verse 10 a strong hand, just meaning that he worked a sovereign work to rebuild his nation. 
God has a strong arm. God can save and reorganize your life and put you into a place of abundance and blessing because you're living under submission to him. See, turn away from that life which you think is pleasing to yourself. Repent of that way of thinking and turn to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you demonstrate repentance towards God by having faith in Jesus. You trust what Jesus Christ did for you when he died on the cross to forgive your sin. Put all your hopes in him. So here the captives could say, we're coming home. Isn't that nice when you're that young child or that young adult and you could still go home to mom and dad's place for Christmas? The heritage that, that they built for you. you know, my wife and I were talking uh, just yesterday. Uh, it was 20 years ago that uh, her father, Don Morgan, passed away. And uh, that changed the family forever. And it was just a few years ago that Linda died. And uh, us young marrieds, the, all of the young marrieds in the family, we were having a hard time of adjustment because we didn't have mom and dad to go home to anymore. And then we realized, oh, it's on us to be mom and dad now, and our kids are coming to us. We create the traditions now. We, we establish that. So come home to God. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Prepare your heart. Whatever is in the way, God can remove it. God can cleanse you. And so put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he will give you that voice of peace. And so in the pardon here in verses 9 through 11.